Well, a couple of weeks ago, as we entered into the Advent season together and began together, really, our year as a church, we started as well a new study that we're calling The Gospel Changes Everything. And if you missed it, the reason that we're calling it The Gospel Changes Everything is because as we hope that you're going to get to see over the course of this year, the gospel actually changes everything. And the reason for that, in a nutshell, is this. And we talked about this two weeks ago, but the gospel is not just the good news that God in and through Christ Jesus is making you and I new. That's wonderful. That's amazing. I mean, it, you know, that's a particular part that I'm thrilled over. But that is way too small if that's your vision of the gospel. The gospel instead is the good news that God in and through Christ Jesus is making everything new. All things made new. And that begins with us today, got that, but it doesn't end until Christ returns, at which point he will literally renew the whole of this world and rid this world of absolutely everything that all of us long to see it rid of and fill this world with absolutely everything that we long to be filled with. And so the question that we started a couple weeks ago with was this. We said, all right, well, so since that's the case, that's what he's doing, and that's how it all ends, how do I, as a renewed by God's grace and by God's spirit person, live between this day and that final day when Christ returns and renews finally, fully, and for all of eternity, absolutely everything? And the answer to that, conceptually at least, was very simple. And what is it? It's I'm to live, you're to live as a renewing agent of the Lord God, or to put it differently, we're to live as people who filled and empowered by God's spirit who commissioned, and therefore then in obedience to God's word and in community with one another, use and spend our lives in such a way, day by day by day by day, as to bring social, spiritual, and cultural renewal to our world in the days that we have in this world. So we're to live as renewing agents of the Lord. But, as I thought about that, and as I looked into the passage of Scripture that we're going to look today, I think that in order to really do that, like go all in on that, okay, it requires a prior commitment. It requires us to have a realization. It requires us to make a value judgment that we then live in accordance with. And so here's the bottom line for today. I mean, if we're going to do that, then we need to realize and stick with this idea that God's renewal of all things, and that's the mission, and we have the privilege of participating in that mission. Okay, it's worth, do you hear that? It's a value judgment. Our absolutely everything. And if you just back out of it for a minute, just separate yourself from your absolutely everything, and just think about it with me, how could it be otherwise? I mean, I'm going to use myself as an example, and I want you to picture just an old scale, you know, with two trays. Okay, let's put Tom and whatever Tom has and whatever Tom is, and we'll put me on this side of the scale, okay? And so here we go. Here I am. I'm on this side of the scale. And now we're going to take God's mission of renewing everything, and we're going to put it on the other side of the scale. You ready? Boom. Like deafening boom. Like boom through the table, through the floor to China boom. Massive difference not to be compared. I want you to think about every great cause that there is out there apart from the cause of Christ to renew all things. Think about them for a minute. Wonderful things. Save the manatees, I'm in favor. Save the whales, I'm a fan. Listen, those things are great and they disintegrate in the presence of the cause of Almighty God. Apart from God Himself, there is no greater value in the whole of the universe than His mission of, through Jesus Christ, renewing absolutely everything, which means, if you just work it through, 
that being able to participate in that is not what I call a have to do. It's what I call a get to do. And I've talked about this in the past, but man, there's a big difference between those two things. You have to take out the trash. You have to. Sorry, but you do. You have to do that. You have to unload the dishwasher. Does anyone enjoy that? Anyone? It's terrible. If you're a middle school boy, you have to take a shower. That's it. You smell. I'm sorry. When your gas tank gets to empty, you got to fill it up with gas, don't you? Which means you have to do all kinds of things that are unpleasant, like interrupt your schedule. Like pull into the gas station and maybe have to wait for a pump. Like pull up to the pump and now you have to pay for this indignity. And then beyond that, and this is the absolute worst part of the whole thing for me, you have to take your clean hand and you have to place it on this pump. And you've been at this gas station for 20 years that you know has been there for 20 years and worse, never once been cleaned. And then... When you put it in your car, because now they've gotten rid of that little metal plate that you used to be able to like quick, just click it and get out of there. You know what I mean? Like they get rid of that now. Now you've got to sit there for like five minutes. Why? Because you get to? Oh, because you have to. And then if you're smart, like me, you'd keep Purell in the door of your car if you squirt it up before you touch your keys or anything. It's just, it freaks me out. Have to do's and get to do's. You get to spend time with your spouse. You get to go out into the yard and throw the ball with your son. You get to go on a date with your daughter. You get to go out to dinner with precious friends that make your life sweet. You know the difference, don't you? So here's the deal. There is no greater get to do in the whole of the universe than being the agent of renewal at the beck and call of Almighty God. And it is a cause worth living for and dying for. The bottom line for the whole of today is this. God's renewal of absolutely everything is worth. It's a value judgment. My and your. Absolutely everything. And it's awesome that we get to place our everything at His feet every day and go, how can we do this? How can we do this together today? So with that in mind, I want you to see that in an example and learn this from a 14-year-old girl in all likelihood whose name was Mary. We pick up our study today in Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, where Luke says this. He says, in the sixth month. I know we're just getting going, but let's stop for a second. That actually matters. In the six months of a pregnancy that is not Mary's pregnancy. That's coming. She's not pregnant yet. It's coming. But this is the sixth month of the pregnancy of a relative of Mary whose name is Elizabeth, who's married to a man named Zechariah, who is a priest. And Elizabeth and Zechariah are an older couple. They're past childbearing years. And even when they were in their fertile years, they were not able to have a baby. She was incapable of conceiving. Until, that is, the angel Gabriel, who we're about to meet again, Mary's about to meet him, showed up in the temple and met with her husband Zechariah and said, there is going to be a miraculous conception in your wife. You're going to conceive. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. We know him as John the Baptist. Okay, in the sixth month of that pregnancy, don't forget that, the same angel Gabriel was sent off once again from God to a different city. Not Jerusalem this time, but the city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a 14-year-old virgin who was betrothed And I want you to hear this to a really amazing young man. 
a wonderful man, a godly man. The Scriptures say that he was a righteous man. He was a very special guy. And the more I've studied this guy over the years, like the more I am enamored with this guy, the more impressed I am with him, as I am with Mary. He was a catch, okay? So hang on to that. She's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so now what I want to do is just stop for a second. I want to describe Mary to you from two different perspectives because we have both in this story. So we get the perspective of earth. We just got the data on that. I'll unpack it in a minute. And then we'll get the perspective of heaven in just a second. And I want to do that because I want you to see the two different perspectives and just how vastly different they are and what a difference it makes when you change which way you're looking at your life. And I say that because these same two perspectives exist in your story and in mine. So in other words, there is the perspective of earth on you and on me, okay? And particularly, let's just call it what it is, on our value, on our worth, on our significance, on our identity, on our being. And then, of course, there is the perspective of heaven. If you have faith in Christ, you're the purchased of God. You are the beloved of Him. You're the one over whom He sings and rejoices. And here's why this matters. Because if in your mind and heart, your value, your worth, your significance, your identity, who you are is based upon the perspective of the people in this world, the perspective of earth. All right, well, here's what you're going to do with your absolutely everything, and it makes perfect sense. You're going to hide it. You're going to shelter it. You're going to keep it. You're going to keep it from God because God's a threat to it. Why? Because generally speaking, the opinions of the people of this world in which we live are premised upon our ability to produce it or to cultivate it or to maintain it or to sustain it, no matter what it may be. It could be money, it could be possessions, it could be academic excellence, it could be athletic excellence, it could be the ability to somehow, as you age, stay buff and good looking and all of these other things. It could be some great proficiency that you have in your professional life. Whatever it is, the opinions of the people around you, the applause by which you feel affirmed and upon which you base your identity, man, it's, it's based upon your ability to produce and cultivate and sustain and maintain your absolutely everything. And so then what does that make God and His mission? It makes Him not an opportunity, not a, who I get to do this, but a threat. However, if you view yourself from the perspective of heaven, And in that, find who you are. Okay, well, not only is it not fickle, it's freeing. And it allows you to see this as an opportunity and to say, yeah, you know, Lord, let's talk about how we can do this today, and then tomorrow we'll do the same thing. All right, so from the perspective of earth then, who was Mary? Mary, just to make it short, was a total nobody, a zero, a nothing. It's just a fact. Mary was a first century Jewish slave of the Roman Empire. So just start there and ask yourself, hmm, a lot of status? I'm going to go no on that one. And even as a Jew, she was a Galilean Jew. Well, they were looked down upon by the Judean Jews, so she was a second-class citizen among her own people. Mary was 14 in a day and in an age and in a culture which, if I can just add this wisely, valued age over youth. Why? Because with age, typically at least, not in every case, but most of the time, comes a wisdom born by experience. So who's going to listen to the opinion of a little girl? Oh, and she was a girl. (laughs) Well, that made a difference in that day too. Women were largely powerless. 
overlooked, unnoticed. And then finally, she was a peasant. She had nothing. She had no money. She had no status. She had no pa- Let me tell you what Mary had. It was exactly two things. And the fact that her absolutely everything were only two things made these two things all the more precious to her, if you think about it. Like, your absolutely everything probably has 102 things. Oh, I lost two. Yeah, but I still have my 100. She's like, no, 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 I just have two. And man, do I want to cling to them. She had her reputation for purity, which in her culture was absolutely priceless. And, and these two are connected, she had her impending marriage to this really amazing young man, this godly man, this righteous man, this humble man, this guy who's kind of a catch. His name is Joseph and all the promise of that. So now notice what happens to her absolutely everything as the story continues. In verse 28, we read that Gabriel, this angel, came to her and he said, greetings, and then what? Because here comes the perspective of heaven, and not just on her, but if you're a believer in Jesus, this is true of you as well. He says, greetings, O favored one, to which he adds, the Lord is with you. But then we read that Mary was greatly troubled, however, not at the appearance of the angel, which is kind of odd, because that's the part that I think would have troubled me. (laughs) But she's troubled at what he said. She's a very contemplative young woman. She's considering what he's saying. It says, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. And so she tried actively and continuously as the idea to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, what exactly does it mean to be a favored one of the Lord whom the Lord is with? Like, what does that mean? And so the angel who senses that she's troubled by this, this is kind of instructive, is troubled that she's troubled by this. Why? Because he's looking at her from a completely different perspective. And he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, because like, I don't know, maybe you missed it the first time, so I'll repeat it. You have found favor with God. And so what strikes me, at least in this part of the encounter, is the difference between the perspective of the angel who comes bringing the perspective of heaven and the perspective of Mary, who like, you know, all the rest of us, at least until up in this point of the narrative, knows only the perspective of earth over specifically what it means to be the favored one of the Lord, whom the Lord is with. And what strikes me as well is that when you consider the fact that Mary is about to get, you know, to lose, to sacrifice her absolutely everything, that's what God's renewal of absolutely everything is going to require of her. Well, then, the favor of the Lord must not then always look like favor from our earthly perspective. Reputation for purity, that's going up in smoke. Impending marriage to Joseph, if you know the story, it literally takes an intervention from heaven to convince this man that he ought to marry her. And honestly, I don't think that's unfair. I mean, if you were engaged, I guess the guys can engage with this part, but if you were engaged to a woman who became pregnant, and here's what you know, I'm not the dad, and her explanation for this is, an angel visited me, and I am the mother of the Christ child, and that's why I'm pregnant. Come on, what's wrong with you? Can't you buy that? Think about that. Her parents don't buy this. Her siblings don't buy this. Her fiancé does not buy this until God intervenes. Then he buys it, and he buys the shame with it, incidentally. The little people and all of her little village. How many do you think lined up to go, yeah, sign me up for that explanation? Nobody. 
God's renewal of absolutely everything is costing Mary her absolutely everything, which means, it means that the favor of the Lord doesn't always look like favor from our earthly perspective. And yet Gabriel, who comes with a perspective of heaven, is like, I don't know why you're so troubled about this, because I have the perspective of heaven. And so what is he saying to her and to us, for that matter? He's coming and saying, hey, guys... Get your head out of this earth for a second and realize that there is a different and better perspective on you and on your life, which is very helpful. It's very helpful because as I think about all the people in our church, there are favored ones whom the Lord is in fact with, but whom the Lord has ordained walk down a pathway that involves cancer, or that involves a difficult marriage, or that involves all kinds of troubles with their kids, or that involves financial problems, or that involves, why don't you fill in the blank? And they're troubled, and I'm troubled. And Mary is troubled, and Gabriel is troubled. But what he's troubled about is that we're so troubled. And I think what he's saying is, you have to learn to stop looking at your life just from the perspective of this earth. And you need to train your heart and your mind to remember who you really are and to look at everything that you're experiencing from the perspective of heaven. Because from that perspective, how does it end? If everything tanks here, how does it end? Renewed life, renewed body, renewed world, renewed everything. It's not nearly as troubling as it appears. So again, Gabriel appears to Mary. He says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at that saying. And and she kept trying actively and continuously to discern what that greeting meant. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And here is exactly what that means for you. It means sacrificing your absolutely everything. Your reputation for purity, your impending marriage, oh, and incidentally also your womb, your body, your life. So that, so that Christ through whom God will make all things new, can be conceived in you and then formed in you and then birthed out into this world through you. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob, over the people of God forever. And of his kingdom, there will be what? No end. That's where it's going. That's how it ends. And so then Mary's hearing all this and she asks what is, I mean, the obvious question. She said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she's working it through. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born to you will be called holy, the Son of God. And so then what is he saying? He's saying, Mary, you're right. You can't conceive Jesus. You can't form Jesus. You can't give birth to Jesus. You can't do any of these things. But what you're incapable of doing, the Holy Spirit will do for you. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. As I've said, as we've talked about this story in the past, you know, births are not easy. I mean, as I think back on the births of our kids, good grief, they weren't even easy on me. All I had to do was watch. I mean, seriously. I remember the birth of our first child, this is over 22 years ago now, Beth woke me up at like 4.30 in the morning and she said, it is time to go. And we had already had sort of a, you know, a deal where we went to the hospital and they said, no, and then they sent us back. So she was determined that we're not going back again until I know for a fact 
this is it. And so she said, it's time to go. And I said, well, it's almost time to go. And she said, no, 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 it's time to go. I said, no, you don't understand because I have to throw up now. So (laughs) just trying to bring you back from lunch, okay? Just, you know, it's not easy. A lot of things aren't easy. Cancer isn't easy. Marriage isn't easy. Kids aren't easy. Financial struggles aren't easy. What's not easy for you? It's not easy, and I think that if the only perspective that you have on the hard things, that God, and please hear this, it's good that you're seated, because it's hard to hear, in His goodness, has given to you. If the only perspective you have on the hard things in this life that God and His goodness has given to you is the perspective of earth, if that's the only way you view them, then you will not much feel like a favored one of the Lord whom the Lord is with. You just won't. And in addition to that, you'll likely miss the fact that God has brought these things into your life for the express purpose of doing what? By His Spirit, conceiving Christ and forming Christ, and in a whole variety of ways, spiritually speaking, birthing Christ out into this world that He's seeking by Christ through you in your day to renew. What a thing to miss. What an opportunity to throw away. So Mary's reading Bride magazine. She's treasuring her absolutely everything. And all of a sudden, bam, there's this angel and he shows up and he puts her to the test by calling her to sacrifice her absolutely everything. All that she's got, that's it. In favor of God's mission of renewing absolutely everything. And then the angel says something else that I think is really cool in verse 36. He says, and behold, your relative, you remember that, Elizabeth? In her old age, he reminds her, she's beyond childbearing years, has now done what? Has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of this pregnancy with her who all of her life prior even to menopause was called barren. For Mary, don't miss this, nothing will be impossible with God. So now what is he saying? He's saying, hey, Mary, unbeknownst to you, there's actually someone in your own family who I've met with, or at least, well, with her husband, who I announced a supernatural conception to, who incidentally is in fact pregnant. Six months so. And who as a result can relate to so much of this. Not to all of it, but certainly to this encounter we're having. And who can come to you in moments like this and say, hey, you know what, Mary? You're not crazy. I think that would have been a good starting point, don't you? No, 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 you didn't, you didn't imagine this. This, this, is, this is real. No, 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 I, I, know, I know what everybody else is saying, but no, 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 you're not nuts, really. No, ser- no, seriously, you're not crazy. You're not crazy for believing in this Jesus, and you are not crazy for taking your absolutely everything and sacrificing it in favor of God's opportunity for you to sacrifice it in favor of His mission to renew absolutely everything. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's a good word to us too, because as I think about this church and all of the people in it and in our school, and I think about all of the ways that so many people contribute and give and sacrifice to God's renewing mission through this church and through our school, and then in all kinds of ministries that are wonderful and incredible all over our city, I think sometimes it can feel kind of crazy. Or thankless. 
You know, maybe somebody goes, good grief, I can't believe you spend that much of your time, but you know, like you're a busy person, couldn't you? Good grief, I can't believe that you invest that much of your resource into, you know what you could do with that? Do you know? You've reorganized your whole life, made career decisions so that you could better deploy yourself in this mission of your, that's nuts. So I just want to say, you know what? You're not crazy. You're not crazy for believing in this Jesus. You're not crazy for putting yourself on this side of the scale and then putting the mission on the other side of the scale and then putting on headphones so it doesn't damage your ears when it hits the ground. You're not crazy for hearing it hit the ground and recognizing it to be what it is. You're not crazy for giving your absolutely everything to this mission of renewing absolutely everything. Because I'm going to tell you plainly, in the end, and the end one day will come for us, but then also for everything. Nothing else is going to matter. Not a thing. And I think that's the other point to make. And I think that's something that Mary saw. I mean, if we can just step out of her encounter with the angel for a second and then fast forward just a little bit in her story, Mary was able to see that, that in the end, man, I'm going to be called blessed. So, I mean, think about it. She has this encounter with the angel. Then what does she do after that, if you know the story? She packs her bags, and she goes to the home of the only one who can understand what she's going through, and who can, in fact, tell her, you know what, you're not crazy. And as she enters into the door, the home of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth hears her, and, and the baby, John the Baptist, in her womb, leaps for joy at the sound of the voice of the mother of the Lord. Elizabeth greets her by proclaiming her to, in fact, be the mother of the Lord, at which point Mary breaks into a song. So it had to be kind of a cool moment. And what does the song say? Well, the first part of it says this, verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, which is a word of sight. She's saying, I want you to see what I by faith am able now in the midst of my sacrifice and suffering to see. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And if you want to quibble with her a little bit, I, I suppose you could, because like you could come to her and say, well, yeah, but what about your generation? Because that's not what they called her. You understand that, don't you? What would you have called her? They called her crazy. They called her a liar. And I'm going to use a hard word. But they would have called her this. They called her whore. Good grief, feel the pain of that. <laughs> She's anything but. She's anything but any of those things. But if you continue to work it through from there, from past her generation, I guess you could say, well, yeah, but what do they call her, her generation? What do they call her today? Because I think that either from heaven or from hell, we have the answer. And what they call her is blessed. And beyond that, if you work your way all the way to the return of Christ and to the renewal of all things, what will all generations and for forever, what will we, together with everyone else, call her? because it's blessed. And Mary is able to grab that joy and bring it into her misery. Seeing that from that perspective, perspective of heaven, she's able to borrow that joy, 
bring it into her misery, and even amidst the stares and the points and the whispers and the murmurs and the outright statements and accusations that she had to endure, and that had to be very, very difficult, she's able to rejoice because she's realizing that as a result of the renewing work of my Savior, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take all of these cursings, if you will, and he is going to translate them into eternal blessings. And by that we endure. Indeed, by that we can be joyful in the midst of circumstances that if all you're looking at your life from is the perspective of this earth, man, there's just nothing to be happy about. Or so it seems at times. It's something. Paul says the same thing. He's like, man, we suffer, but these sufferings, nothing like. Not even to be compared, he says, with what awaits us with the glory to be revealed in that day. So let's go back for a second to Mary's encounter with the angel, who again, verse 36, said this, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing, Mary, will be impossible with God, which sets up the great climactic question of the story, which is what? What is Mary going to do? Okay, how many of you are feeling the suspense of that? Like no one, right? Because you know the story. You know what she's going to do. She's going to go all in. She's going to say, ah, I made the value judgment. I heard the scale hit the floor. Here's my absolutely everything. She says it this way, and I love it. Verse 38, Mary said to the angel, Behold, look, look. I'm the servant of the Lord. That's her identity. That's who she is. And whether you realize it or not, if you're a follower of Christ, that's who you are too. Behold, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. I belong to Him. He can do whatever He wants with me. And whatever He wants, it's good. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the gospel is the good news. Not just that God in and through Christ Jesus is making us new, but But that in and through Christ Jesus, man, He's making all things new. And that starts with us. I I think you got that. But, But it doesn't end with us. It ends with a renewed absolutely everything. It culminates in the work of Christ on the day of His return. And in between this day and that day, we're to live as the renewing agents of God. But if you're going to do that, you need to first hit, hear the scale hit the floor. You need to first authentically deal with the value judgment of heaven, which says, hey, you know what? That mission of renewing everything, yeah, that's the single greatest thing there is. That is worth living and dying for. That is worth your everything. That outweighs absolutely everything else. Oh, and incidentally, it's not a, oh, I guess I have to do this because I heard the, you know, scale hit the floor. It's a, what, are you kidding me? I get to do that? That's amazing. I'm in. So to that end, let me ask you, first of all, where do you find your value and worth and significance? Is it in the perspective of earth or is it in the perspective of heaven? It's really, really an important question and it's one that all of us struggle with. Everybody. All of us. Where is it? Because if it's in the perspective of of earth. Then here's what you'll do with your absolutely everything, which incidentally is a little clue as to where you find it. You'll shield it, you'll hide it, you'll guard it. Is that what you're doing? And God and His mission is a threat, not an opportunity. 
But if by the perspective of heaven, you're set free from that and you realize, no, 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 my identity is bought and purchased in Jesus and I am the purchase of God, the beloved of heaven. I'm a son or a daughter of the living God and that's who I am and what I have in this life and what everybody thinks of me is not the point. The point is that there's a mission and I have the privilege and opportunity of being a part of it in the tiny little space of time that I have. It's a get to do. But you've got to answer that question. So where do you find your value, your significance, your worth? Because I think typically as a follower of Jesus, we got to get up every day and go, okay, listen, I've got to die to the opinions of everybody else. I've got to just, Lord, help me to crucify that, which is like it dies kicking and screaming so that I can live the renewing life that you call me to live. Secondly, are you viewing the hardships that you experience in this life from the perspective of heaven or on earth? Because again, if, if the perspective, if the only perspective that you have on those hardships is the perspective of earth, then you won't feel much like a favored one whom the Lord is with often, but yet that's who you are, which is pretty amazing. And you'll likely miss the fact that God has brought these things into your life to form, to to conceive, to give birth to Jesus in a whole variety of ways, both for you and for others. And you'll also likely miss the fact that your renewing God is going to take all of them and make you eternally thankful for them. You can only see that with the eyes of faith by reversing them from that which feels like cursing and in fact may be, to that which is eternal blessing. What we experience here by faith, oh man, it's nothing to be compared with the value of what's coming for us experiencing it by faith. And then lastly, 14-year-old Mary went all in. She just got it and she did. So the question is, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Because that's the question of the story. You know, we all know what Mary did. It's amazing what Mary did. Got it. The question was never, what is Mary going to do? The question has always been, what am I going to do? And what are you going to do? Am I going to see it as a threat? Or am I going to embrace it as an opportunity to live a life that in the end, the end of all ends, and then breaking forth to eternity really mattered? So there it is, and I'll let you chew on that. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your glory. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for our little piece of it. We thank you that you have chosen us, that you have redeemed us, that at the price of your Son you have purchased us, and by that price you have forever stated over us our value. It's infinite. You rejoice over us and that is a wonderful thing but we thank you too that this mission does not end with us and we thank you first of all for that because man we long for a different kind of world one in which all the stuff we don't want anymore is gone and all of the things that we long for they are in infinite abundance we praise you that you have purchased that future for us but we're we're glad for your mission too because it's an opportunity Lord, give us the eyes of faith by which to see our lives in every season of them from the perspective of heaven and by which to see ourselves from the perspective of heaven, who we are, our worth, our value, so that we might take all that you've given to us 
anyway and commit it day by day to your renewing work in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in this city, and in the world. Do these things, we pray, for your glory and for the eternal good of your people in Christ's name. Amen.